solve the problem. Because I look at the little light. When I look at the yeah. light, I can't see. Sorry. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. God, I look sunburned. This lighting is terrible. Well, it was it was fine until you got it. Well, because you're leaning back and you, you know, I'm not sunburned. I'm not sunburned at all. I look, uh, I look like my. Good evening, uh, everybody, and welcome. Right, to Todd, show. take it off. <laughs> <laughs> go, Todd. No. No, go, Todd. Go, go. I'm ready. And I'd just like to introduce everyone to the Todd. Todd's going to kick it off tonight. So, round of applause for Todd. And now it's time for Throw the Todd, the Todd under, the under the Bus. bus. <laughs> oh, that was well played. Well he's, played. Um, All he's, right. he's gone. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. This is Aussie Crafter still is shooting the shit. Uh, we're, we're, here with, we're here with Kerry from Cabaret to Spirits up in Queensland. Am I right? No, Northern New South Wales. Oh, Jesus, I got it wrong. No, you got that wrong. Northern New South Wales, so close. You're close to the border, though, aren't you? You're very close to the yeah, border. Yeah, close. 25 minutes from, from Coolangatta, which is where the yeah, border yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Actually, on Cabarita Beach. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is, I'm, I'm going to assume that's where the name came from. We'll get into that shortly. So anyway, everyone, um, we're back. Uh, this is episode 50. 50. 50? 50. 50. 50. Episode 50. Yeah. Um, and uh, so tonight, yeah, it's different. We're going to be talking about rum, 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 which is going to be fun, 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 fun. Oh, that's clever. That was clever. <laughs> anyway, that's 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 it. That's all I got tonight. So um it's all downhill from here. But anyway, the first thing we do first is we've introduced Kerry. Hi, we Kerry. Hey, Kerry. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much. Good. Excellent. And then on our right-hand side, we've got the man of heavy conversation and attitude. <laughs> My right-hand man, <laughs> the Todd. How are you, Todd? Very good, thank you. Long-suffering as always. Oh, very good. <laughs> On my left hand side, my good friend Hello. Luke. And I'm at Luke's joint in case anyone wondering where I am. I'm not in the shed distilling. That's tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Brewing into the stilling. Well, given that the last five episodes have been here. Yeah. I think people are probably expecting it now. Well, I was yeah. actually meant yeah. to be there tonight, but that's yeah, forgotten what the shed looks like. It's no, no. We started distilling last week. Anyway, from Craftworks Distillery, for those that don't know. So let's kick it off. First thing we always do is we need a drink. We all need a drink. So okay. we'll start with you, Kerry, because you're more organized than we are. What are you drinking right now? Yeah, I am drinking. Uh, I'm drinking a Hemingway daiquiri, um, which I'm already quite a way through because, <laughs> like I mentioned, I just realized half an hour ago that this is a live show and that <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous. And, um, and I'm I'm actually drinking, um, and I was very nervous, so I've got a Navy Strength rum, the Cane Spirit, to be clear, from Jimmy Rum in Victoria, and it's at 57.8%. Um, oh, nice. That's nice. a good way to get started. Yeah, it's either going to chill me out or, or knock me out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about being nervous. It is a loose as a goose ride. We go in whatever direction it goes, and yep. it is what it is. 
And um, and if we all happen to pass out because we've had too many drinks, then so be it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is, as long as I'm driving at six o'clock in the morning, I'm happy. That's entirely your that's problem. It. Yep, that's my problem. All right. So. Uh, I'm putting money on the fact that he's not driving at six o'clock in the morning. Just saying. Say again. Bet you he's not driving at six o'clock in the morning. Oh, he knows me so well. Yeah, it'll be eight or nine or ten. He's drinking the most fancy drink we've ever had on the show. I think so. So, also got dessert. Ah, dessert, nice. So, what is the Hemingway daiquiri? A Hemingway daiquiri is made with grapefruit juice. Right. So, your classic daiquiri has got your thirty mils of lime juice. The yeah, the Hemingway's grapefruit. And it's what James from Jimmy Rum says that when I asked him, we swapped a bottle of rum of our spirits at a festival. And yeah. I said, how would you drink it? And he said, I love it in a, in a Hemingway daiquiri. So I said, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Very That's great. Yeah. Cool. yeah. It's delicious. Yum. Yeah, very mm. cool. Very cool. All right. Well, we've got something very special tonight. Todd, unfortunately, you're going to miss out. <laughs> yep. We might save some. But anyway, uh, yeah. one of our... One of our favorite. Just remember what you're saying right now for future episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you'll be here and I'll be at the shed. So one of our favorite um, distilleries. We uh, we talk a lot. We, we're good friends. Is our friends from King Lake Distillery. Oh. So down in Victoria, making some amazing whiskey that is their own signature flavor profile. Uh, which is very cool. Oh, shit, did I grab the... Oh, no, they're right. These are yeah, your bottles. Right. They're mine. So oh, we put so, our orders in. So you want to drink the, my bottles tonight? You'll drink your bottles. No, no, no. But anyway, um, so we ordered uh, bottles um, paid for, okay, just like to, to say paid for, and got a lovely little sample mm. from Chantel and Sam with a lovely little card that says, see you later, alligator. That's the name of the whiskey. And it's a toasted ex-bourbon barrel with a big thanks and a smiley face. And 61%. 61%. So we mm. will be partaking in that a bit later on. And I've also... So I've got Kelki Moon. Nice. Who we have spoken to before. Yep. Um, you'll notice that I actually only just opened this today. I've had it for all this time. And I think it was just saving it for when I can appreciate it with someone who knows and can tell me about rum. It's not me. No, I wasn't yeah, talking. About it. no, even though we make rum and we'll get so, into that. <laughs> so then I also I also got like I I well, oh, put some effort in. Fancy lime and, 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 and mint. Fancy. And I've got ginger beer. Oof. And I've got ice and and and, and stuff. Where have you been? You've you've been on the education, I can tell. I don't, I've got no fucking idea what I'm doing. So I'm just going to put it off. For the glass. The carrier will walk us through that. Yeah, please do. Todd, what are you drinking? Lukey, you've got some special salt too, haven't you? Uh, uh, I'll, I'll save that, yeah. Well, all right. A little later. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Backwards, single malt. Yep. Backwards, is that their latest one, or is that... Um, yeah, it's whatever they had. It's not their latest, latest. It's what they had when we were doing our road trip. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was back in January. Oh, yeah, right. Focus, sorry. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. And then, and then for dessert, I'm going on to whatever this is. 
Thank God you stalked. Unicorn Spirits. Oh, no. Sour oh. Apple Vodka. Thanks, Ben 10. Oh, ben 10. Ben's probably watching now. Oh, oh, and he's one of our sponsors. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Well, not yet. Yeah, the Australian Gym Appreciation Society. Yeah, not yet. Well, we need to. So, Ben, pay your bill. Uh, and, and, and at the Easter show. Yeah. Um, we'll see what that's like. It's and glittery. It's very glittery. And I can tell you, when you've been pouring that for, what, a, a 10, 11 hours straight, your fingers are a bit sticky. <laughs> I got that just opening the lid, to be honest. <laughs> Time's up by a lot. And, yeah, you'll know where I'm coming from. I think half my... Half my uh, I can feel diabetes coming on. Washing my hands. All right, that's enough anyway, crap. That's enough. <laughs> so... Kerry, let's let's start. Let's start with your story. How you got into rum? What was the what got you into rum? What excited you to get you into rum? And your journey to where you are right now. Give us a rundown on that. Um. Well, I I didn't. I mean, I I, I didn't. I didn't set out to be a distiller or to have a distillery or anything like that. For me, the process was just. Um, rum was an interest and I wanted yep. to make rum. Um, I would consider myself more a rum maker than a, than a still even though they're one and the same. But just to be clear, because there are a lot of people that start and this was they wanted they wanted distillery because you know that maybe they've come from a brewing background or they like a you know broad range of spirits. But for me it was just making rum. And that came from it was a bit of a odd idea at a odd time and then all the stars sort of aligned. But basically, rum had always been a bit of a fantasy spirit for me. Um, I travelled a lot as a dive instructor in my early 20s and invariably in a lot of tropical islands. And there would always be beautiful rum bars on the beach in these tropical islands and these, you know, great cocktails. And I always sort of associated rum with a really fun, enjoyable experience and time of my life. Right. Um, I spent a lot of time in Spain as well. My, my dad's Spanish and I was actually born over there. And, you know, one of their classic drinks is the Cuba Libre, the rum and coke, which yeah, is yeah. what people, you know, often drink when you're out and about. And then, you know, I just had these sort of like fantasy ideas of having a rum bar one day in the islands myself. Like, oh, one day I want to, you know, end up in a rum bar with my feet in sand, wooden bench and just surf people Rum, maybe have like a bucket with snorkeling gear and they can go for a snorkel, come back and have a pina colada. Your classic kind of, you know, fantasy. Um, but, you know, life led me down a bit of a corporate life in the end. I became a journalist and then I worked in communications at different organisations. And I love that work as well. But I really, having lived so much of my life outdoors, I really struggled sitting in the, in the office and commuting. And so like, many people in the craft distilling industry in Australia, I decided to ditch my career um, and started distillery. Well, for me, it was to make rum because I was thinking, well, how am I going to spend the next, you know, 30 years of my life working? How am I going to get to my rum bar? You know, how am I going to achieve this dream? Right. And the idea of um, sitting in a, God, I bought them already. <laughs> <laughs> That's Todd. Don't worry about him. <laughs> I'm up the, <laughs> just yeah, the idea of just dropped um, in the part of the conversation. Yeah, so yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Keep sorry. Going. sorry. <laughs> the idea of those long commutes and those and those office days was just so depressing. 
and you know, I was thinking about how am I going to do this rum bar, blah, blah, blah. And then I just thought, ah, oh, well, I can probably make rum because where I live in Cabarita in the Northern Rivers here, surrounded by sugarcane fields. Um, and there was a sugar mill just down the road. And because I'd had a general interest in rum, I knew the basics of what rum was made from and how it was made. And I thought, well, I wonder if I can get some molasses from there and I can make rum. And so I just, you know, Googled it and started figuring it out. And and then before I knew it, um, I had all my licenses and everything and, and it went on to, <laughs> to buy a still. And cool. so that's so, what so I did. you get your molasses from your local refinery? Yeah, the sugar mill, the Condon sugar mill. Yep, it's 20 minutes down the road. Um, and I, I get I get molasses pretty much from the mill. Yeah. It comes into they, they put it into a truck which feeds it's, it's blackstrap molasses, and then it comes to my place. Um, and yeah, I've got a, a really tiny distillery. It's 21 square meters. I mean, what what you can see in the picture is half of it. You know, <laughs> um, so I don't have like a hey, small so distillery smaller than um, yeah, yeah. Oh, you just frozen on me. Ours. So ours is 120 at the moment. Okay. And used to be worse. We started at square meters. Yeah, 60 square meters started, and that was including uh, barrel storage space. So um, it was tight. We're now 120, and that's tight. But you're you're talking about expanding as well, aren't you? Well, I mean, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. But at the, at the moment, like, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into it, you know, it's, I make, I make rum and cane spirits. Right. And selling cane spirits is actually a really tough sell. And in the meantime, like I've heard other people on the podcast say before, the spirit in barrels doesn't pay your overheads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, like, honestly, before I'm able to move out, it's going to be, it's going to be a little while before that happens. Yep. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it makes things tricky. I mean, what I was saying, you just sort of all froze before, but you're back now. What I was saying is that I haven't got a forklift and things, and so I've got this um, IBC container, which my neighbour manufactured a big wheeled trolley for. So we put it on that, and then we roll it down the driveway, and the truck comes and fills it up with molasses, which now, once it's full, weighs a tonne and a half. And then I've got a friend who knows lots of people in town. He's, I, I call him my HR manager. He rings up all his friends around town to see who's not working. Lots of people aren't working because this is a beachside surf town. And then everyone comes, help me push it up the driveway, put it into position. Um, and, that's how I get, and that's how I get my molasses to, um, yeah, to my distillery. Yeah. That, yeah. that is fantastic. Have you, um, have you ever met um, Dave Pierce and Steve from Five Nines Distillery? They're a no, whiskey, whiskey, whiskey and gin distillery down in uh, South Australia. Anyway, their their um, distillery was very similar um, space wise, like what you're talking about. But yeah. Steve was a cabinet maker, so he built everything. So it had multi purposes, and everything was on wheels. And you go there, and you look at it, and, and it's just. It's just incredible. There's no wasted space and everything just sort of clicks and clacks into space and, and works. And when they don't want it, they move it out and park cars. <laughs> now, in case you're wondering what is that noise, that is the rain. Yeah. 
not raining okay. over here in the tropics. Is the rain? Can you yeah. hear it? Yeah. We've got. Yeah, I can hear it. In my shed, it is. Uh, I've got low ceilings, and it is heavy, heavy rain. So, sorry about the audio quality from our end. Uh, it's 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 not too bad, really. It's all oh, nice background noise. Still good. If we uh, if we raise our voices, it's not because we're angry. <laughs> nah. All right. So okay, that's that's an interesting journey because uh, you're coming at it from a a completely different standpoint. I've never heard that that sort of perspective of getting into the industry. And everyone has come in through different ways. But I love how you're saying it, it's come from from an association with great times uh, when you were a dive instructor. That's really cool. You know, um, actually, one of my earliest memories of rum, the first time I ever had a rum was when I was about eight or nine years old. This is going to make my parents feel really irresponsible, but they're not, I swear. But um, we were on, on holiday in um, the Dominican Republic. Right. I was about eight or nine years old. My parents were actually divorced by this stage, and my dad was living in Spain still, and mum was in New Zealand. But they'd meet up so I could share a holiday with them together every year. So we're in the Dominican Republic, and we're Good on this um, flat-bottom boat um, out on the lagoon with the reef around. And this big storm cell comes out towards us, and all the us, all those tourists on the boat, start worrying that you know we're going to get turned over in the storm or whatever. And so the crew on this little dinky boat just bring out all these rum and cokes and start giving everyone a rum and coke, and they put on the merengue music, and then everyone just starts dancing and they're drinking rum and coke and they're having the time of the life. The storm comes, it's pouring with rain, everyone's having a ball, you know, no one. No one freaks out. No one panics. No one stresses or complains. Everyone has a really good time. And I, mm. and my parents gave me a sip of their rum and coke, you know. And I'll never forget it. It was just, um, I just thought, wow, look at that. And and my parents never forgot it. Was I realised how crafty the crew were being and getting everybody um, just a little bit tipsy, so they were just stress less and had a good time. Um, and they always talk about that. And so I guess like. My perception of rum is really, really different from what the general person's perception of rum in Australia might be. And it's got a really storied and disreputable reputation in Australia. And and I meet that a lot in my business. And it's actually really, really challenging. And I would, you know, I'm always, I'm always saying when people say, oh, but it, you know, it makes me aggressive. I'm like, oh, I don't think it's the rum that's making you aggressive, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably having a dozen rum and cokes that has uh, has done it for you, rather than yeah. the rum itself. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I have a, I have a a, um, a dirty secret, and my dirty secret is when I distill. Um, so we're at the back of a pub, and sometimes uh, when I finish, I'll go into the pub and I'll sit there and have a Bundy and Coke in a can. And <laughs> that is a dirty secret. It is a dirty <laughs> secret. Yeah, yeah. And the Remember looks... that time we were, running, we were actually running the still and having a and having a um secret rum and coke. Rum and coke. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, and that guy turned up to the cellar door and gave us a hard time for drinking a completely different spirit from what we're making. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's the association, right? So for me, I I've had good times with Bundy, and I know Bundy has a lot to answer for with a lot of people having bad experiences uh, yeah. in Australia, right, for various reasons. 
Um, but it's the association. And I'll sit in the pub and I'll drink, and, and it's in a can, right? Mm-hmm. They go, do you want it in a glass? Do you, do you want it out of the bottle? I go, no, no, I want it in the can. It's it's very ritualistic. And when yeah. I do it, I just relax. It's so cool. It's really cool. And I don't drink rum and co- I don't drink um, Bundy and, and Coke at home. I don't drink it anywhere else. I only drink it after distilling, and it's not all the time. It's just occasionally. So yeah. the whole association thing, I totally get where you're coming from with that. Also, the, thing the, is, the notion of of retiring with a little uh, rum bar on a beach in the Caribbean or some somewhere. Yeah, wow. I mean, that sounds pretty fucking good at the best of times. Even a, <laughs> even a rum bar in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I actually people when I came up, you know, I started thinking about the idea, and I was working in an office at the time, and I mentioned it to a few people, and and one guy said to me, he's just like, well, why don't you just sell up and go and do the rum bar? that was the obvious thing to do and he was right you know i could have done Mm. that but i wasn't i'm not i'm not ready i mean i'm 42 years old i don't i don't want to retire you know i can't retire obviously and i don't want to i I like working and i like um and that's what i like about what i'm doing now probably the same as you guys i like producing something i like having a sense of satisfaction and achievement um it's i've got a real sense of purpose now Mm. well desperate sense of purpose (laughs) (laughs) that I didn't have before (laughs) but it's good you know it's hard yeah Yeah. passion passion and purpose Mm. yeah it's something it it became a personal philosophy of mine in my late teenage years and it's only later in life that I've actually been able to apply it at a very personal sense and gone I'm doing something that I love uh, for the reasons that I love it. And you're exactly the same. And there's so many Australian small mum and dad operation craft distillers that are exactly the same. It's given them a, their passion, but a purpose as well. Yeah. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is that because I felt like a bit of a, and I still do sometimes, like a bit of a cop-out. Not, not a cop-out. What's the word? Like a, a fraud. Because... I didn't, I didn't grow up wanting to be a, a rum distiller or a rum maker or anything. It's not like people say, you'll oh, be living your dream. I'm like, am I? Because I never dreamed about doing this. It's just an idea that occurred to me a few years ago and I, and I just went ahead with it. Now I'm just realizing that passion is actually something that is, that is also produced and that you cultivate in your life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm dead passionate about what I do now, but it's not like a, I dreamed of all my life and finally threw in the towel that work and decided to follow that dream. Yeah, in the, in the long sense, rum bar on the islands, maybe, but not not starting a distillery in my garage. You know, like, <laughs> well, I didn't dream of that when I was a little girl. Um, yeah. Now it's all I think about, you know. It's, it's sort of become obsessed with what you do and, yeah, mm. just cool. That's where passion and, and So how does that obsession manifest on a day-to-day basis? Uh, I know for myself when I and I do become obsessive about whatever it is that I'm doing at this moment, uh, I'll have an idea and then I'll go, oh, I can I reckon I can make that thing there or that process better. I can make that more efficient. I can do something with it and it keeps me up at night. What are the things that you've found that keep you up at night that you're trying to work out and 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 evolve an idea besides how to make money besides that 
Um, We've all had those 3 a.m. things where we go, ah, I can fucking do it that way. Yeah. Gosh, there's a lot, obviously. Like one one thing that's been something that, well, firstly, I'm a a real fan of um, education and information. So whether that's through trial and error or talking with people, reading books or manuals or blogs or whatever it is. So I generally, if I'm trying to figure something out, I read everything I can get my hands on about it which is really tough with, with distilling because there's a bunch of opposing opinions always. It's a really small industry. People do things in different ways. People are probably opinionated. So you, you need to find um, what makes sense to you, you know, what, what resonates with you and the gear that you're using. But something for me that's been on my mind recently, well, as I'm really resolving sort of by now, but anyway, it's how to safely clean my still. Um, because I've got a got copper pot still, as you can see here, and I use I use molasses, which is a real bitch to clean. You still mm-hmm. you get the scaling happening. I don't have like fancy balls that spin around in here and clean it off or anything, you know. Um, you know, I've got a pressure. I've got you know, yeah, like tap pressure hose, which is pretty good pressure, and then also like a a gurney. I don't, yeah. I don't know they've got names in places. A gurney. Yeah. And then, I've, you know, there's like AdSip or there's Caustic and, and I just, you know, I'm trying to preserve the copper in my still. I'm trying not to put waste down the drain and I'm trying not to get scale build up in my still. Yep. And yep. it's an impossible situation. So, <laughs> so um, Do you have elements inside or is it? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Direct. direct. Yeah, it's a bitch, isn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. There's no, there's, I don't think there's an easy solution when you're dealing with something like molasses where, it, where you get that build up of scale. It's just yeah, worse molasses. Yeah. yeah. And also, um, <laughs> like for the show, I put the parrot back on because it looked really weird without it. But um, I had taken yeah, the actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'd taken the parrot off earlier because of, um, you know, all the copper sulfate and, and the copper um, salts that start sort of building up and they really start collecting in the parrot. At the end of the condenser, so I take this off really regularly and give it a good clean. And I, I've taken it off, and, and it's hydrophobic, so just you know, hot water doesn't do yep. the trick. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, the the heads in the next run will, will clear it, but then by the end of the run, it's, it's sort of filled up with that, you know, with gunk again. So anyway, so I had it, I had it taken off, and I was just I had it sitting on the bench for the last three days, just wondering how I might clean it out. I've got like a cool little brush thing that I can put in there now with a bit of like dishwashing liquid and, um, you know, just to scrape it out and stuff. But so that's been, that, that's one of the things that's on my mind. Um, flocculation forming in my bottles. Yep. That's something um, that's a real pain in the ass that I'm, you know, I'm always trying to combat. So I get it, you know, you, you can leave it and, you know, proof it down to your bottling strength. You leave it in the container for a while, let, let the flock settle out and then you can siphon it out that's fine if you've got a forklift or something to lift that vessel to be able to siphon it out into a, you know, gravity siphon it out. But I haven't got that. So I sort of, I filter it out during bottling. But then sometimes it still forms in the bottle afterwards. Anyway, so things like that. Or if I haven't left, given it enough time resting in the stainless steel, let the flock fall out and then I bottle it. I rebottled 240 bottles the other day. You know, that was my Easter. <laughs> <laughs> things things like that um and just figuring out like why in this batch did i get more flock than in other batches you know yeah you know and looking back through all my distillation notes my fermentation notes 
and then just trying to find a pattern mm -hmm. um, so I can work out how not to repeat the same mistake, basically. You know, I'm two and a bit years in and um, I'm still figuring things out. Yeah. And how do you find, I mean, the, the, obviously the whiskey community is, is quite big and crafty. You've got uh, a few dozen people that you can call at the drop of a hat. Hundreds. 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 To resolve or to bounce ideas off. What is the, the rum community, Good the rum distilling community like? Uh, because to my understanding, it is, it is still quite small. Yeah, it is pretty small. It's so cool. You know, I mean, I only know like a handful of them, but they're such a great bunch of people. Like around where I am, we've got Hus Distillers, and, yeah. and they would, um, you know, Quentin, the head distiller there, welcome me with open arms, show me right through the distillery, right at the, at the very beginning of my journey. Yep. Um, but, you know, they're very busy people, and I don't want to call on them too much. Um, but then I've got Mark from Winding Road, Brian at Lord Byron, um, and like I mentioned, James from Jimmy Rum, and they're all excellent. Um, I've, you know, called them all on different occasions and asked them different things. It's really great to get together at a, a rum festival, for example, and um, then catch up for a beer afterwards. I just feel like they're my colleagues, yeah. um, part of my family, because I work in isolation like many of us do. I work in isolation, um, and so when I do get opportunity to talk about distilling like with you guys today, um, all these all these guys at a rum festival, I love it. You know, I hang on to it because I want to – I've got so much that I want to share and so much that I need to learn from other people that it's a really cool opportunity. So they're great, but I'm reluctant to call them at every problem that I have because I have a lot of problems and they're busy people and they've got their own businesses to run and I don't want to tax their time. I don't want to disrespect yes. that. And and also, like, a lot of the problems are commercial and confidence as well. Like I don't want to admit, like, a huge fuck up <laughs> to, to my <laughs> You know, the rum distiller down the road. I mean, you're going to think I'm a real idiot. I do that every week, you know. That's right. Crafty so, is nah, on the podcast. So. I, yeah, I hear them on the podcast. I, I take, um, I put a lot of credence uh, personally in mentors, right? Mm. But to me, mentors are not a one-way relationship. They're, you, you get things from your mentors, but you give things to your mentors, so I'll give you a, a good example. Uh, he, he's one of my best mates, Marty Pye from Riverborne Distillery. Uh, we fight like cat and dog. Um, we know our tolerance is two days together. Uh, Todd can probably squeeze out three days, but yeah, I can yeah. only squeeze out two days. Now, I help Marty. So, so when you're at the, the Stillers Conference and we're in the same room for about three days, we're pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was pushing it. But I, I help Marty with um, concepts and, and social media and, and, and just trying to get out there and pull him, pull him out of his isolation because he is he's uh, stuck in the farm in the middle of nowhere and he's 77 years old. Um, but he has taught me so much and still teaches me much. And with your mentor relationships, you've got such a high degree of transparency uh, that even your mentors can learn from you, um, which I think is super, super cool. But beyond the mentor relationship, there is the community relationship. And I put a lot of credence on, on that to be able to pick up the phone and or a text or a message or whatever and just bounce an idea 
or a problem or an opportunity. Um, mm. I, I love that. that mm. That's one thing I love about the community. It is also one of my, personally, one of my biggest fears that as the community grows, um, the elbows start to come out. And a lot of us distillers talk about this is this people come into the industry and they've, they've almost got a sense of arrogance that they, they'll come and talk to you and they go, I want to open a distillery and they'll pump you for information <laughs> and you go, but who are you? Yeah, you know, yeah. Same, but I did it over years. I and other distillers. You know, it's through friendship, it's through connections, it's through opportunities, and you build your knowledge. You can't just walk in and and expect someone to hand over. Oh, this is how I do everything. Now no, go away. Cool. I don't even know who you are. But there is a sense of entitlement. Do you find yeah. that? Do you get people do that to you? Um, yeah, yeah. But I think that I was one of those people. You know, like, well, when I, um, when I was thinking about what, what, I want, what I wanted to do, I think, yeah. no, I didn't, I didn't knock on every distillery door around me. The one I did, though, was, um, oh, yeah, I just let that message come up. Um, yeah. The one, the one I, did, I did go out to Husk and, and talk to Quentin, and I brought yeah. with me a notepad and a pen, and I said, do you mind if I take notes? <laughs> And um, and when I saw something interesting, like I saw they had an enomatic bottle filler, and I was like, "Can I take a photo of that?" You know, um, and so I, I feel like I, I was that person, um, and I felt really cheeky, to be honest, at the time. Um, but they were also at a stage of their distillery and their business, but they're just so well established and really evolved that I'm pretty sure he was just like, "Man, you know, this chick, man, she's got no idea." <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, um, and 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 after that, I just yeah did my own, my own research. Yes, I've had people come to me and ask me questions, and um and I did a distillery course recently in Tasmania with people who were just just sort of starting out at a very nascent stage of their journey, right? And they had heaps of questions, and I was really really happy to give them all the information that they asked. You know, I was really happy to. But then I've also had a situation when I've had people that wanted to come and have a look. These people were just 10 minutes down the road from me, also wanted to make rum and wanted to do it how I've done it, starting off small, and it, you know, and they wanted to have a look at my setup. And I said, you know, no. I said, I'm happy to go have a, a drink with you at the bar and, you know, answer your questions, but I'm not going to give you the blueprint for how to do what I've done 10 minutes down the road from me. No, mm. no, it's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance. And what you've said, what you did, to me, that's, that's exactly what I did, right? Exactly. But you come in uh, with enthusiasm and a genuine sense of curiosity, mm. right? And for me, it was Bill McHenry from uh, McHenry Distillery and Sons back there. Um, and he knew, uh, and I just met him at a, um, a market and uh, got talking to him, got to know him. And then one day, and this is when I started as independent bottling, before I yes. started, yeah. And he, I was in Hobart, and I said, "Mate, is there any way I could just come over and have a bit of a chat?" And he goes, "Absolutely." This was before Crafty, mm. right? Um, and I went there, and Bill was amazing. He mm. showed me what he did, and he said, uh, "I'm going to tell you all the things that I did wrong, so you don't do them, right?" Mm. 
and this is this is some ideas to put you on your on your road on your journey and he did and that was fantastic it was not i wasn't going there with the sole intent of trying to pump pump him and get all his good information and go off and, and be a competitor it, for mm. me it, it was start of a journey and just collecting information and you're you're the same i can tell it's collecting the information and then forming your own position taking what works for you and going right i the more people you speak to, the more confusing it gets. The more yeah, like and it's, like, at the early stage, you don't know what the right questions are to ask. And you, you don't know really what you don't know. know. Yeah. yeah. And you don't know what to you know what, what you're looking for either. Like yeah. there was something that I needed to work out. And and honestly, like at that point, that was probably the first and only distillery at the time that I'd ever visited and had a look at. Yeah. You know, and their scale is mega compared to what I was thinking of. But at least I've got an idea of what a pot still looks like, yeah. um, you know, and, yeah, fermentation. And also, like, <laughs> Quentin was really cool. He showed me, like, the the six-by-three-metre shed that they started in, you know, a few years ago. Right. And he's like, as I'd say, like, I'm thinking about getting a 200-litre still. Do you think I can – do you think that's going to be big enough for rum? Um, and he's like, yeah, we started with something really small in the shed – and, you know, we only just really built this gorgeous distillery that they have um, out at Timbalgum. And so, yeah, it was really cool. But at the time, like, you know, I picked up a couple of cool bits of information, like the Enolmatic, and I saw the still. But I wasn't thinking about, like, a million, million things that tripped me up down the track. That it never would have occurred to me to ask questions about it until suddenly I had all this equipment and I didn't know how to attach the different hoses and pipes and plumbing equipment, you know? I'm like, oh, shit. Right, I need, I need, I need some plumbing advice now. <laughs> and what about, so with the, the actual process of distilling rum, can you, because I, I, I don't know how you work with molasses. I know how you, you, you brew a beer uh, make a wash and put that through a still. What, can you talk us through, or well, me through, the process of making rum? Okay, I think compared to whiskey, it's it's really easy. Um, compared no, to whiskey, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> whiskey. Compared it's definitely to... hard the way we do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> carry on, carry on, Yuri. All that, all that mashing you've got to do, that's that's one step that, that you miss with molasses and um, and sugarcane-based spirits, right? So um, so with molasses, I, I, I just get um, pretty much like three-quarters molasses to one-quarter sugar at the moment is my um, recipe for my Blanco cane spirit. Mix right. it in with, with lots of water, and I just, you know, I've got 200-litre barrels for that. So I just stir and stir and stir and stir and stir, and I spend pretty much half a day stirring it in. Right. Um, no, exaggerating. Someone said that I should get you, I get a big paddle thing connected to an electric drill and do it that way, which is a very clever idea. Mm. Um, done yet? Um, but anyway, stir it in, and then I, you know, have my yeast starter. I use a, a commercial rum yeast, so right. I produce, it produces. It functions really well in high temperatures. Yep. Um, yep. Subtropical climate here. Um, you know, and, and some of the tap water is coming out at, at 28 degrees. Yeah, yeah um, right. Yeah. And I actually, to mix, to mix in the molasses, I use even hotter water to mix in the molasses nice and easy first. And then, yeah, pitch the yeast in and then, and then it's the fermentation, which is um, a beast into itself. 
So that's that's my process for making a, like a clean base spirit, which is my Blanco cane spirit. Really, it's quite straightforward. Um, previously, I was using more molasses and less or no sugar, and right. the molasses imparts so much flavour into the spirit that the spirit was just too full flavoured for the local market and too full flavoured really for an unaged product. And, I mean, I was taking like three days to do a spirit run in an attempt to strip back some of that flavour through that reflux happening in the still. Yeah, right. Um, And, you know, only recently through talking to a vodka maker and just down the road from me in New South Wales that it occurred to both of us in a conversation on the phone that, I use less molasses, which is where the flavour is coming from. Potentially, there'll be less flavour carried over in the still. So now I use a little less molasses. So that, that fermentation, like originally, it was lasting like four, five, six days, and then I'm finding that it was less molasses and more sugar. The fermentation time time period increases. Um, um, with, yeah. Sorry for a sec. So with, with less with molasses, more sugar. More sugar. The fermentation is longer. Yeah, that's what. I, yeah, it's pretty weird. I mean, it could be. It could be. I'm using like I'm pitching at a slightly lower temperature, perhaps as well. But that's about the only variable. Right. Um, and yeah, it's really I can yeah. hear some. <laughs> sorry, sorry. What was that? That's certainly counter to what I would have thought would happen. I, I'd, I'd have thought would yeah, have been quicker. Yeah, yeah, because much faster, it, yeah. the sugar is easier to work with mm. for the yeast. Yeah, like, possibly, yeah, probably it's available, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So again, again, adding sugar, you potentially have more sugar to to ferment than if you're using straight molasses. Mm. Mm. Maybe, maybe, maybe. No, but no, because the state of gravity is is the same as it was before. Thereabouts. Just Uh, just taking it, and 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 that's the only. I can't. I can't figure out what else it could be. For example, Um, like aeration. Take. Sorry, with when you're mixing in. Your sugar. So the oxygen content. The oxygen content. Does that? You, yeah. Does that make a difference if you're if you're mixing uh, and 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 um, and diluting your molasses at a higher temperature? Are you getting more oxygen into that molasses for to feed the yeast as well, versus when you're using less? And more sugar. Wow, that's the most technical question you've answered. Asked on, on shooting the shit. That's round of, round of applause for for Lucy there. My brain hurts. <laughs> I need to have sleep. That's actually that's actually a really good point, and it might be, and it might be. I don't know. Um, it, the only reason I think yes, I haven't I haven't considered it, and the reason I am considering it is that this last fermentation that I've got going on at the moment, which is still bubbling, I can hear it. And I'm going on past two weeks now, so this is really long. Yeah, and wow. and that and that fermentation, I for some reason I can't remember why, but oh yeah, because a lot of the sugar got stuck, and I was just stirring it for ages longer. But, again, but if it was really oxygenated, you'd think. There we go. So oh, less oxygen incorporated at the early stage will give a longer lag phase. Yep. So all that yeah. molasses will be oxygenating the musk nicely. Hmm. So more oxygen, less lag. No, give a longer lag. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. we're getting really technical yeah. here, people. So yeah, we might take this That's... off as a side conversation. Otherwise, we'll never get through. No, <laughs> I, want to, I want to know the answer, damn it. <laughs> it is, 
to answer your question earlier, these are the things that kept me awake at 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I, I know yeah. why. I know why. Yeah. 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 So, then, so then it's a matter of, okay, how do I make something that I can use, such as your massive paddle on your, on your drill, to get that aeration to, I mean, you, you've probably got some, got some guns now from, uh, from all that stirring. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't want to lose that, but. Use oxygen stones. <laughs> That's a, uh, that's another way. Stones. Use oxygen stones, yeah, like okay. they, they do in the in the brewing industry, where yeah. they actually it's like your fish tank. How you have your bubbling in your fish tank, mm. you yeah. can actually use that in in um, in, in uh, well, you can use it in whiskey. I would imagine yeah. you'd be able to use it in gin as uh, in uh, rum as well. So when would you use that? Are you using that throughout the ferment? Uh, to begin the ferment. To begin the ferment, I, I would say. Yeah. It's, it's the yeast that likes the oxygenation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you, you do it before you pitch the yeast um, to get more, more productivity out of the yeast. Yeah, yeah so paint stirrer. That, that's what we do as well. So we, yeah. we get the old paint stirrer on the, on the drill. Or oxygen one. Yeah. Hey, this is good. We got lots. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just fist it for 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Take your frustration out on, on a <laughs> 24 hours. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I want to change direction now. Range back. Yeah, and I'll speak loudly. So I of recent has just, have just got on the uh, technical standards committee for the ADA. Um, now, there's 20-something plus of us, so it's one hell of a size committee, and whether we get anything done or not, time will tell. But the main reason, not much. Not much. The main not reason uh, that I got on it is because, personally, I'm becoming increasingly more concerned of people coming into the industry, and I'm talking purely from whiskey standpoint now. The rules on whiskey are: do your two years in wood, keep your nose clean, and then you can be as creative and innovative as you want, right? And I. I trust, I believe we are creative and innovative, but we stick to the two years rule. What is coming into the industry are people that are uh, promoting their product as single malt, right? Which by definition is single malt whiskey. So the man yeah. on the street, if you do a test, what's a single malt? If I drink whiskey, it's a single malt whiskey. If you go onto Google, you type single malt, it comes up as single malt whiskey. So it's a practice which potentially, whether it's intentional or not, is misleading the consumer. Mm. And people go, Crafty, shut the fuck up. Why, why are you concerned about it? Just worry about your own business. And the reason I worry about it is because I am Whiskey Brand Australia. So if anyone's doing anything out there which is damaging Whiskey Brand Australia, you're potentially damaging my brand. So if someone has a bad experience by tasting some new make, which has been in a barrel for a month, and flogging it as single malt, and the person's perceived as whiskey, that's not good for Whiskey Brand Australia. Mm. Now put that to one side, and you rum guys, whew, you've got some real challenges with with white rum, haven't you? Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kerry, you've got on one school... Uh, on one side of the debate is we don't want any age classification around white rum, right? We want to be able to just distill a product and release it and call it white rum. 
on the other side of the, of the debate is, no, we want the two-year protection, and then we can call it white rum. It's aged, and we can call it white rum. And there's arguments for both sides, right? But if I take the whole whiskey debate and apply it to the rum debate, mm. are you not potentially going to go down the line if you don't have a two-year minimum that you're going to get people coming in and releasing product that the consumer is going to think is rum and it's not and then it's just going to backfire on on brand on rum brand australia mm. yeah um yeah i mean it's a really contentious topic and yeah. more i think more more for rum than it is for whiskey because internationally you an unaged or an underaged rum is still rum um so so here it's sort of like a, de a definition kind of issue in australia I, I, look i'm not i'm producing cane spirits at the moment and i've yep. got i've got product in in barrels for to release rums when they're ready you know and it'll probably be beyond the two-year mark and I really see both sides of the argument. Like, I understand the value of protecting a category, um, be it yep. whiskey or rum, in an industry, especially in a, in, a, in a nascent distillery, craft distilling industry like we have in Australia. Absolutely. You know, you want to you keep that immunization. Um, we're producing these products by hand. An awful amount of time and effort and passion and sleepless nights goes into it. Um, and so you, you want that end product to be actually really delicious. Um, <laughs> you get any more out of the No, no. <laughs> Sorry, I, ha I had to show you because this is a, this is my last oh, model of, of Ferno. Uh, Tom and Co down in Flinders Island making absolutely sensational oh. bloody whiskey. Mm. And we were meant to get one or two at the Australian Whiskey Awards, and with all the rushing around, we didn't. So, Tom, we need to... Amazing whiskey. Sorry, I digress. That's why I was squeezing it out of the bottle. It's the last of it. <laughs> Sorry, Kerry, for taking away your thunder. Yeah, yeah. No. But, yeah, no, you're providing a really good insight into it, Kerry. So I'd love to hear more about this. Well, look, I, see, I sort of sit in the middle. I see the value of both sides. Basically, I see the value of keeping a... Um, premiumization in the category, releasing really quality products. I believe that you can release a quality underaged or unaged rum. Yeah. I think more care and consideration needs to go into that product. Um, for example, a rum agricole, you know, the French style, as you know, most yep. of those rums are designed to be um, drunk unaged. Yep. Um, yep. Like just, you know. Um, I'm using molasses and, and I'm using a pot still, not even a column still, you know, which is not ideal for producing an underage or an unaged cane spirit, which is why my spirit run takes, you know, so bloody long um, and why I'm working a lot with my fermentation to make it, you know, not not too bold and not too flavorful so that it is more like a, an underage or a, um, a white rum. Right. Um so I think, yeah, between whiskey and rum, I mean, horses for courses, really. Um, I think whiskey is a completely different category. Um, and not, not, not in the sense that rum is lawless and there are rules with, with whiskey. I don't think that's the case at all. No, um, no. I guess like at the end of the day, transparency is really important. Um, yeah. Writing on the label what you've got, like how long has your product been in the barrel for? Has it been in there for six months? Has it been a year? Has it been two years or more? Has it been five years? Um, and at the end of the day, like it's this, the spirit 
is what sells and what talks. Um, I, I had the real privilege of being in Tasmania last the week before last, and I did this distillery course. I think I might have mentioned it before. And I tried, you know, half a dozen extraordinary whiskies, and I just thought, oh, I just need to get some more barrels. You know, <laughs> like I just need to, I just need to get some more barrels. This stuff is amazing. Um, you know, I want that. I want my product to taste like that. And and the consumer at the end of the day, you know, has got that. Um, the last card or what, what, what would you say um the spirit that you know the best spirit sell i know marketing is really important and branding and all that sort of stuff but you when i look at it out of a poor spirit and sell a lot of it look yeah. at captain morgan's and sailor jerry obviously you know <laughs> but um those those tasmanian whiskies that that's only for 300 a bottle yeah you know and they can't keep up with demand oh yeah Sullivan so, you go into a ballot. If you're lucky, you'll get it, and then you pay a fortune. <laughs> so I, 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 need oh, right. ask, I need to ask another technical question. Yeah, right. you were very technical tonight. I know, yeah. I know. Have you I've, been doing I've homework? Got, I've got my, no, oh. that's why I'm asking questions. <laughs> so there we go. That is can't a, see it. I yeah. know you can't see it because I want to look at the spirit itself through the bottle. Yeah. Which is has a very slight amount of oh, color. I know where you're going. Compared oh, I know where to, you're going. yeah, yeah, yeah. Compared yeah, yeah. to that, yep. which has no color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know why? Well, because that's been barrel aged, and it's a white rum, and it's a white rum. So okay, yes. carry on. So that's Rata, is it? Uh, Barty. Who's Barty? As Fiji. Oh, okay. Yep. Fiji. Um, so my 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 question there is, if that's been in the barrel for two years, and it's got that little color compared to that that's been in the barrel for two years and has all the color. Mm. What am I missing? Possibly blank barrel. Um... No, no. <laughs> what, what am I missing? No, it's very, Terry's going to explain it. It's pretty. It's just, it's just filtered through a charcoal filter, which strips it of all the color. Um, oh. And, some of the flavor as well. So some of the flavor, but it's still a mature spirit. Like mm. it's it's still really different. And you can still tell, I think, that it's been barrel aged. There's there's mm. so much that happens in the barrel with the, the changing of the, the, the chemistry, the push yep. and pull between the wood and the spirit, the mm. spirification that still happens in the barrel. That spirit is really changing. You can strip the mm. color out of it and you can strip a lot of some of those flavors out of it, especially with rums. There's so much flavor in rum. You can strip that out, and you're still going to have a different that that what came out off the still compared to what's been in the barrel and stripped of color is going to be two different products still. So there's right. still value in in putting something in a barrel and then stripping it of of color and some flavor and bottling it as a white rum. It's just that I think I'm, we're so focused in Australia on this whole barrel aging thing um, that it's just like wow, why are you going to go to the effort of all that barrel aging to get all that lovely color then, and then just strip it out. Out. Yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. That's that's what I struggle with. But what I will say with white white rum, aged white rum, the ones that I've tasted, the mouth feel, the, yeah. the the textural qualities of the rum mm. are very different to uh, say an Ad- Adricol or something like that. Um, mm. 
Mm. I'm just trying to see what the ABV is. Oh, that's the viscosity that, is. This different. is a, a liqueur, though, so it's not well, a good example. Well, you just buggered your own argument. I, yeah. <laughs> that's just watered it down. But I, it, I'm it, glad it, you it, didn't it, give it to me because I would have banged on about texture and then <laughs> looked like a right shit. idiot. I should have anyway. done that. Yeah, you should have. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, I realized. It is that mouthfeel and it is that texture that changes. And yeah. That's yeah. what you get. Yeah. It's very, very noticeable. Now, let's talk about your still. So, does it have a name? What size is it? And where'd you get it? Um, I got it made in Western Australia at Triple H Distill with Hilton, is it? Hilton, yeah, yeah. Yep. Heard of him, um, yeah. Yep, I was, I was number 36, so that was his 36 still. Right. And he, he was, yeah, I, I didn't get a formal education in distilling. I, I would call Hilton <laughs> be like, hey, Hilton, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And the poor guy just wanted to make a sale, you know, so he spent two hours on the phone with me, teach me how to distill. <laughs> and um, I went over there and met him and saw the workshop and just wanted to make sure it's going to fit in my space, and it did. And so that's my still. It's called Felix because it's my yeah. grandfather's name in nice. Spain. And that grandfather um, was a, a chemist in a sugar factory. Um, wow. wow. Just just by, by chance. I don't know. It's good for the story. Do you know what I mean? But it's just a coincidence, really. <laughs> and um, and it's 230 litres. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. I'm not sure. It's got like a, you can see like, yeah, you can see what's happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's got a boil ball on it. And it's quite a long neck on it for its size, isn't it? Well, that's what people say. I don't. I don't know. I mean, yeah. You can to make lighter spirit. Well, that's what that's what I was, that's what you'd hope, but I don't think so. <laughs> because I was, I've been hoping for this lighter spirit for Blanco, but I, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, or it's just the molasses that I'm using is just you know chunky, chunky, flavorful. Chunky flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What um so have you done anything in barrels? Have you got anything maturing in barrels? And yep. and what have you been looking at with barrels? Oh, out I see on the batch two. Tazzy is it Tazzy Cast Company barrels? No, uh, no. Um, uh, Barossa Spirit. So from AP John Cooperage. Oh, AP John. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. So yeah, cut down to 115 liters, and then right. one one chard, and I left one as it was just to compare the difference. Um, I've actually released a, um, it's anywhere between six months and a year in the barrel. I call it Oro and it's, I just really wanted to get a different product out there. I've got pretty much an empty bottle here, but there's a little bit of like, you can see a little bit of golden color in there. Yeah. I've seen that. And then, um, and then the other barrel just sort of holding for, um, you know, a, a rum rum might be two or three years. And I'm just having a little taste of that tonight. Mmm. Yeah. That's a nice colour. It is. What are its yeah. legs like? Hey. Show us the it's legs. Legs. Oh. Give, oh. It, give, give us a 12. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, barrels, barrels is like tattoos, right? You get one, you're just like, oh, I want mm. another one. I want another one. I want a big one. I want a small one. I want 20 <laughs> I want you to burn it hard. No, I want it really light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Do you have a unicorn barrel? Is there something that just you have to have it, but you know it's going to be really hard to find? 
Oh, um, yeah, so I see what you're saying. Yeah, I've got I've got a different kind of unicorn barrel, which I'm just putting whatever happens in, in it. <laughs> we'll see what happens in five years. Um, um, yeah, no, oh, probably a like a Spanish um, Jerez sherry barrel, like an Oloroso or a Fino. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm actually going to try and visit my dad this year, later this year. I haven't seen him for five years because of COVID and all of that. And I thought it could be a good opportunity to try and suss out a couple of barrels and see if I can send them send them to Australia. Because man, barrels are um they're really expensive. Not just the barrel. It's just that I've you know, I've got this tiny setup and I get two barrels shipped up from South Australia and the cost of shipping is the cost of the barrels. And yeah. I'm a I just can't stand that kind of inefficiency, you know. I'm like, well, it's got I've got to make it worthwhile. Are you a Kiwi? Yeah, you are. I picked it. I, I picked it a while ago. You uh, are, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I thought you were joking. That's that's funny. That's really funny. Uh, it's funny because because so, uh, three of these things are just like the other. Three of these things are kind of the same. One of these yeah. things is totally different. Guess which one that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're in Australia and and we're and we're showing Australians how to make um, spirits. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you would. <laughs> yeah, look, that's um. Do you know um um Joadja Distillery? So no. Joadja, uh, Val and Elisa, um, the surname I can't remember. The, they're Spanish. Jimenez. They're Spanish, and they're. Uh -huh. Their signature is um, old wood sherry casks, which mm. they bring in from from yeah. Spain, uh, yeah. and it's their own personal connections with people they know in Spain, and yeah. they make a really rich, heavy uh, rich. fruit cake. Yeah, um, just amazing whiskey, Australian Australian whiskey. Um, oh, you probably. You probably you should have a looking for one now for you. For a yeah, yeah, you yeah, should probably talk to them. I, I reckon. Um, I've got a Joe. Oh, I have got their. Oh, no, they, I do. That's their, that's their gin. Oh, that's their gin. They're Joe Edge. Hang on. Um, Val, yeah, and Lisa, hang on. <laughs> Val and Elisa are beautiful people. Joe oh, Edge. Okay, oh, I, so I, I, I had their whiskey and I gave it to my dad. But they got the Spanish connection. Yeah. yeah. So it, absolutely, it'd be worthwhile having a conversation with them. Yeah. Well, I mean, over the, oh, I just thought I might task my dad with the job and say, "Oi, Dad, see if you can find some barrels over there. <laughs> someone has got a, you know, a vineyard or a, you know, that'll be my Christmas present. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I, I reckon, like, even getting a couple of barrels and shipping them to Australia, you cut out all these middlemen along the way, right? The middleman in Spain, the middleman shipping, the middleman in Australia somewhere. Oh, okay, so Paul, Paul is a mead maker. Paul is Paul is a good mate of mine, and Todd's and and Luke's and makes a cracking mead. Makes a cracking mead, but we, Paul and I, embarked on a project to distill honey. Um, and nice. that was a project purely out of the love to try it, right? Um, and it's we're barrel aging it as well. So what? Paul is saying there is he's offering you a burnt honey mead barrel. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very oh. much. Where are you, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> 
That way we'll 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 connect. Our people will talk to yeah, your our, people. Our people will talk to your we'll people. Talk to your people, and we'll 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 hook that up. Cool, cool. I'll fill my kit so I can pick it up. Uh, look, it, it it'll be a few hour drive, but yeah, <laughs> we'll work something out. That's easy. Yeah. That's it. There we will we'll talk. talk. There, there we are. We will talk. That's it. The podcast works. <laughs> <laughs> it is the yeah. voice. People in the industry. <laughs> we, can we open that now? Yeah, yeah, open it. So we're going to open the King Lake, Todd. Um, okay, so, Terry, Todd is going to tell you, we've got to throw Todd under the bus. We've already thrown him under No, we've got to throw him under the bus. We're giving him plenty of warning. So you don't have to go through this field, just tell me what I have to do. No, no, throw him under the bus. We've already thrown him under the bus. I'm boring. No, I'm going to, where's the button? Give me the button. Which button is this? Is there a lot of buttons? I've got more, I've got more buttons than you. All right, so we're going to talk about rum and we're going to talk about Craftworks experience and fuck-ups. So hit the button. Where is it? That one? You don't have yeah. to no, don't press through that painful no, 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 no. video again. Hold on. No, there you go. G'day, Lucas. Lucas. Luke. All right. Here we go. Uh, he's, yeah. he's not going to shut up until I do. Yep. And now it's time for... Well, it keeps them amused anyway. <laughs> He's easily amused. Right. So, what he's saying is that we, we've dabbled in rum, and there's certain things with working with, with my auspicious leader here that <laughs> sometimes he gets these brainwave ideas. So to make rum, we got 15-litre containers and put 250 15 liter containers into our mash tun. Sunshine sugar. It takes a bloody long time to, to empty out a little 15 liter container of molasses into mm. a still one at a time. Mm. What else do we do? No. Uh, say so, about how we've made it a couple of times. The first the time we went, oh, I can see why people make rum. This seems to be really, really easy. <laughs> Things seem to work quite nicely. So we decided to get confident to make a double double brew. The second brew did not work as well as the first brew. And um, mm. took us one hell of a long time to get it to, to ferment from memory. Why, I wonder? So oh, it's just, it was just nightmarish. Everything, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. We couldn't get it cold. Uh, we we feel that um, we were just using our, our normal yeast, so we feel that we're not M1. using the right yeast, just M1. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and we, we, weren't, we, weren't, we weren't feeding the yeast or anything. It just was, was a, bit, a bit nightmarish. But anyway, having said yeah. that, we've got rum, which has turned rum, what, two days ago? Yep. And after two years in a, in a barrel, it is... It is a white rum, pretty much. No, but say what, say what the cask is, Todd. Say what the cask oh, is. It is a, was it, Binley rum cask. An old so it's originally rum. bourbon cask. What two, size? A 200 litre. So originally it was a bourbon cask from, I think, Heaven Hill, but don't quote me on that, um, that then became a Bingley rum cask. So 200 litre. And then we bought it. So Bingley. Bingley. And we bought two of them, uh, and one we made whiskey. So that's going to turn out. No. 
Thinly, thinly, no, 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 beans were involved in this. Anyway, it's very, very light, as Todd said. And it's how would you describe the flavor profile, Todd? Shit, no, no, it's not shit. No, it is actually, it's really, really nice. It's a very subtle rum, it's light, <laughs> it's light. Light yep. and flavor, very light and flavor. Did, did you put spirit in the barrel or did you put water yeah. in Yeah. No. no. You know, it was... it's spirit, it, it, is, it is tasty. It's, it's just like, as, as what's what's the rum equivalent of new make? Canesbury. Yeah, yeah Canesbury. so whatever, whatever's, when you've done your, your, your spirit run and you get your, your first runnings from that, we, we like tasting stuff and we've decided we don't taste that because that was awful. <laughs> but after after two years in a barrel, it, it's it's actually quite tasty. Um, what what what? Yeah, I'm kind of curious. I, I don't understand why it's um so light. Um, what ABV did you put it in at? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> it's probably in 60, 62 or somewhere around there. Whatever yeah. we normally put in. In, but it wasn't. Um, what, I, what I think it is, it is I think these barrels are actually blank barrels that you know they were given away for a reason, and they've yep. obviously okay. done their thing. The reason why I say that is because we've also got a whiskey in the same barrel format, which is also a very light whiskey compared to our other whiskeys. Bloody nice whiskey in too. color, very nice. Yeah, just in color and flavor, it's still very flavorsome. It's just very, very. It's like straw. But the question I wanted Todd to ask, oh, okay, he didn't ask it, is we didn't use any nutrients. Well, that's what I was getting to, but you oh, just oh, cut oh, now, now he says that's very clever. You cut him off early. That's very clever. Yeah, I was actually going. I was going to ask about nutrients earlier, but you decided to change to- topics and get on to um, you being on a, yet another committee. But we won't go there. How do we give him the stick? He's got the stick. No, no. We've got a conversation but stick. Do you, do you use nutrients in, in your ferments? Because that's one thing that we thought we had, we had done wrong. Mm. No, um, I've experimented with nutrients and I I don't find there's any um, value in using them. Um, I'm not sure if that's because the molasses that I use is, because it's blackstrap, has got so much nutrient in it already. Um but I've yeah I've experimented and you just you want the nutrients to utilize the yeast really yeah. um, to give the yeast more bang for buck basically um, and it, it never did with nutrients that I've that I've tried so I don't anymore. What I do use is a bit of citric acid to drop the pH at the start of the fermentation to around four point five anyway yeah. anyway four point two and four point seven I'm kind of happy. Yep. Um, so I've worked out those ratios, so I do do that, and that gives the the yeast a better fighting chance. But nutrients, I didn't. All, all, all nutrients going to do is not going to affect the flavour. I don't think. I think it's going to just affect the the alcohol that you get in the fermentation. Yeah. Um, the fermentation is where the flavour is created. That's yep. that you create flavour and fermentation. The, the distilling, you're just separating those different flavours. You know, the yeah. ship yep. head flavours or the poisonous head flavours or whatever to you know, the shit tail flavors, you're just separating the different chemical compounds, but all the creation is in your fermentation. So I guess that nutrients might aid that, but they didn't in, in the case when I worked on it, yeah. Mm. Now, I've left this comment up from uh, Nathan Malcolm saying it sounds like you're missing magnesium. He's a distiller. Yeah. So 
Nathan, Nathan asked, do you mean like in the sense of um, like, a, like a nutrition? Like a, like a I think nutrition? that's what he's referring one of, the, to. one of the nutrients. Yeah, I think that's what he's yeah. referring to. Okay, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Okay, okay. Um, maybe. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I think our, our thing is, it's a, as Todd said, they're blank barrels. Mm. They've been used yeah. multiple times. And that's what William was saying. Know, no more tannins to release. Yeah, absolutely agree. Well, absolutely yeah. agree. So um, what you can oh, I need yeah. the sticks. What you can yeah, do yeah. Is, is take that take that spirit and put it into a different barrel, like a, a really like heavily charred barrel or a, a new barrel for six months. Just and see what we, yeah. we actually we actually really like it, but the style yeah. of rum that that I would love to make is I have a fascination with beer barrels. And so with the beer barrel, we're doing projects on the whiskey front. Yeah. And I love to take beer barrels and make rum with beer barrels. Now, I'm, I've tasted Brix's uh, stout cask rum, uh, which I think is just absolutely yeah. awesome. Absolutely Making awesome. a good rum. Yeah, yeah, just a real earthy. So, so our style of rum won't be, our barrel-aged rum won't be, uh, pineapple, banana, highest the content rum. I, I really want to make an earthy rum. Um, I think that'll be, yeah, I think that'll be our signature. We're going to start making more rum. Um, mm. A good friend of, of the show, Scotty Fitzsimmons, the ex-Oak Barrel in Sydney, now works for Ned Whiskey. Uh, he's banged on for many years about the rum naissance. And yep. finally... The rum naissance is happening in Australia. There is so many good rums getting made in Australia. New distilleries yeah. coming out that are making cracking rums, and it's it's an exciting time to make rum, isn't it? So, okay. Well, see now, right. William's pinching my 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 questions. I don't know. I was going to oh, ask. I was going to ask that too. Yeah, all, all right. right. All right. Hey, thanks, William. You managed to don't get them out of the question. I was going to bring that up as well. So, that's three, audience. Three, oh, three, you don't even know about Rotunda. I do so. We've actually done it. But anyway, Kerry, go. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, cool question. I am now just because the first couple of years I wasn't because I just um, didn't have the confidence and yeah. I just wanted to get some like basic clean stuff sorted and made and sold and whatever. And then it's like I was saying before about tattoos and barrels you just want more so i was like right well i'll get this other barrel don't know where i'm going to put it i'll figure that out later well i'll, I'll fill that up with something and then i'll get another barrel and so then i was like right well these barrels i want them to be really funky i want them to be different i'm comfortable now experimenting with longer fermentations with wild yeasts um you know bigger um you know like d digging into the tails more and yep. thunder and so, yes, so I started collecting buckets of, you know, dunder from the still and just leaving them to use in the next fermentation, yep. you know, for the second generation. And um, and I did one one round and then I went back to the dunder and of, of you know, these buckets that I had and it was just so feral, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. I, I just I thought, man, that can't be legal, you know, like... <laughs> I googled like, well, what do you do if you see all this like mold floating on the top <laughs> of the bucket? Yeah. Oh, that's where the flavor is. Yeah, yeah well, that's, so again, all these differing opinions, and I was just yeah, like, man, yeah. I just, 
can't throw this mold into this fermentation. So yeah. I've chucked out some dunder. My yeah. garden really loves all this shit <laughs> that it gets. <laughs> and um, I do have a couple of buckets. I'm saving some up for another barrel. I don't know where I'm going to put that. And, um, and oops, sorry, I've got my cat. This has come up. Yeah, it's and, all good. <laughs> and so I've got these two buckets, and I had a look the other day, and, you know, they're really well covered up, but, you know, there's just like these, maybe like these wormy things. <laughs> Extra protein. <laughs> hey, they used to throw in goat's heads. Yeah, that's used to be just a be literally a pit that you throw everything into. Yeah, that, and yeah, that just cultivates yeah. all sorts of awfulness that then creates more flavour. Yeah. Is yeah, that, is that not the idea? That's it. It's a turbocharged ferment. It's mold equals closed vessel. Dunder with the appropriate infections, but will not have mold. Yeah, the fact I know, that you I, say, yeah, I know what he's saying. The fact that you say infection, it it, it just doesn't sound right. A bacteria. <laughs> What's appropriate bacteria and there's bad bacteria, but an infection. I mean, if it doesn't stink, it's probably not such a bad one. Yeah. Or the other way around. If it doesn't stink, it's probably not that good because you want it, you know, stinky. Mm. No, that uh, that comment there is absolutely on the money, and oh, that's really? that's my research as well. Right. So when you get if you if you get through the initial, what is a dunder pit, right? And it's it sounds incredibly scary in that. And, and you get into some real deep technical stuff, they say that you've got to maintain, you've got to feed. Uh, uh, a, right. Yeah, okay. you've got yep. to feed a, a dunder pit. <laughs> you've got to control its pH. Um, you've got to look after them. It's not just throwing goat's heads in and, and then happy days. Right. No. If, if you're not, not, putting some dunder in the corner and forgetting about it for six then months. What do I do with all my goat's heads? <laughs> Don't know. One <laughs> thing. Um, one thing that I always sort of fall back on when I'm making rum and I am wondering if I'm doing it right or wrong, is it too hot, you know, is the fermentation going too long, blah, blah, blah. I always think, you know, 500 years ago in the Caribbean, far out, they, they didn't know what pH was, yeah, you know. Sanitation. They were appropriately inoculating dunder pits, you know. That, it was pretty rough and ready. Yeah, and yeah. Sure, it might not have always been, you know, premium kind of rum that we're aiming for now, but it was, it was made most of the time. I'm hoping it was safe. And, and so I just think, well, you know, it's, rum is forgiving in that sense. Um, and I think whiskey is as well where you, you, you get these different flavour profiles and then it's subjective. It's whether people like them or not, whether the majority or not like them, and whether it's funky or robust or light or whatever, you can, there's room to play. You know, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'll tell you something which I discovered last week and it absolutely blew my mind. Right, absolutely. I don't even know how I stumbled upon it, but tradition, whiskey tradition, Scottish whiskey is barley, yeast, barrel, and thyme. Right, water that's that's all it is. Arch, don't steal my thunder. So, so what happened is, um, you know, that's it. It's Scottish whiskey is just all about that, nothing else, right? And it's like, no, it's not, right? Anyway, I stumbled upon an article, and back in 1820s, 
there was a thing used called bud, which Todd mentioned. And bud, no one has any idea what bud is, but it's referenced in technical documents. Excise, the, no, there was none of that. Excise departments. Anyway, this one particular guy who teamed up with Dave Broom. Dave Broom is a whiskey writer, world-renowned, right? Highly established historian. And they were going, what the hell is this bud that they go on about back in the, in the early 19th century and earlier? This guy was at Charlie McLean's house, uh, who's a whiskey writer, a whiskey personality, a very knowledgeable uh, man. And he showed this book and gave it to this guy who was friends with Dave Broom. And they opened it up and it explained what Bud was. And this was an ex excise officer, right, who'd worked in distilleries. What Bud was, uh, how it was made, why it was made, everything. It was hops. Mm. And the hops were used to preserve the yeast. Because the oh, yeast to go off the yeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it, it worked as a as a preservative, or and they're not one hundred percent sure. It was actually a flavor thing as well. And I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gone through all the information on Bud, but what it clearly shows is that Scottish whiskey had hops. Hmm. Oh. But how how do the hops preserve the yeast? Like, and, that, that I don't I haven't done all my research on it yet. I'll send you the. I mean, it, it would it would give the yeast somewhere to live. And... Well, yeast would go off after, after yeah. a while. So, so, so you're dealing with a liquid yeast, not a dried yeast. This is this oh, is going okay, fresh, okay, freshly oh. cultivated yeast. So it's basically what was used in previous batches uh, and put to one side, and they'd mix it with hops. Hold on, the brain, Bill Brain has. Yeah, that's true. That hops, is true. Antimicrobial. Uh, antimicrobial. So you can now go to a Scotsman. And when they bang on about tradition, and it's like, tradition is a moment in time. Right? Yeah, what is tradition? What is tradition, right? And I'm a personally, personally, I'm a big advocate of, I think, yeah, that's it. He nailed it. He nailed it. That's what it is. If you go to the YouTube channel and look at that. The liquid, liquid and how do you, I don't know. Okay, yeah. And I've read articles about it. And when I read the articles, then I went to that. There's an hour and a half uh, YouTube thing on it. And it blew my mind to think that hops were used in whiskey production. So then you go, what is tradition? Right? So to your point on making rum back in the day, they didn't know what pH was. They didn't know what cleanliness was. Thanks, Paul. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! Sorry, you put it on autoplay. No, no, auto I was trying to find the URL so I can put it in because yeah, I put the URL. So, and there's lots of there's lots of golden nuggets like that out there. And yeah, it's, it's exciting when you stumble upon stuff like that. So, for those playing along at home, I've just put the link to the YouTube channel into the the chat. So, scroll to the bottom. Eventually, you'll find it. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So if we're in a genase, uh, sorry, not a genaissance, a renaissance. 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 Did I pronounce it right? Renaissance or renaissance? No, Scotty, what is it? I think it's renaissance. Yeah, yeah, no, like the, okay. If we're in the renaissance, yep. do you think that we will be able to go back to the, the rum economy? 
which was founded on the Ramakon. A bit of data. We need Dave Withers on because he's a historian on that side. He mm. knows all about that. Yeah, well, there's pretty much a roof on my head at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, short answer, no, I don't think so. Okay, with, with Australia being founded on rum, yeah. what, what happened? Where did we go? Where, where, where did we move away from rum? Rum on, and, Andrew Young. Yeah, how... how what what happened? Why did we lose the the rum economy? That's a question for Dave Withers. Because mm. they can't tax it particularly easily. Probably. Oh man, I just oh, that's fucking awful. Oh. Sorry, we we Sorry. just we just tasted the uh, King Lake. See you later, alligator. Sixty something percent. Oh man, absolutely, Todd. No, sorry. There's a little bit left, Todd. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, just remember this for episode 50 for future events. Um, yeah. I also just have to make mention, I'm now opening up a bottle of wine. Oh, Rose. oh well, I haven't tasted any Mark stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, great. Shit, yeah. So I met him at the show, at the Easter show. I know him well. Um, and we're going to have him on the podcast. Yeah, um, he's a lovely, lovely, lovely yeah, couple. Absolutely lovely. Look at that. Lovely. Um, when you're ready. Mark's so, got a um uh a Bernsey still. And um mm. so Mark and I went to Bernsey at the same it. time to look at our stills getting built. Oh really? Mm. He's got yeah. a beautiful still. Yeah. It, and he changed it. It was electric, uh, like mine. It was six elements, 30 kilowatts. Um, and he changed his to jacketed now, I think, isn't that? Mm. That's a major model. I think it was a major project, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so oh, he's lovely. Northern Rhythms. You're Northern Rhythms. Yeah, it helps when you have your own fabrication company up the back. Yeah, it does, true. <laughs> um, and um, Dan Woolley, he's and uh, Brian Restall. So yeah, I don't know. Who, yeah. who else is in the local area? Oh, and of course... Um, Husk. So, who else is in the local area? Kate, um, Kate Byron Distillery. Kate Byron, of course. Yes. Yeah. Are they doing rum? No. They're not. Yeah, just whiskey and, and gin and liqueurs and that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so, do um, you all do you all talk? You're all a bit of a community up there in the in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. I I, I don't chat too much with a, a lot of the bigger guys because my my concerns and um. Hey, Brad. My topics of conversation aren't at that level. Um, I'm, I'm much smaller. But I do chat with Mark quite a bit and yep. Brian as well. They're both making rum and they've yep. just been really thoughtful. But, you know, Mark's, yeah, Mark's great. Every once in a while we'll just give each other a call and just, you know, chat for an hour. Yeah. Um, and it's just really, again, you know, working in isolation and working in an industry that's quite small. Yes, there's like hundreds of distilleries around Australia now, but... Um, they're spread around all of Australia. It's not as if yeah. you can go up at the end of the day and catch up with your workmates. Um, you know, you work on your own a lot of the time. Um, so being able to chat with these people is just really, really, um, I consider them my colleagues. It's essential. So, really. so how, do you, how do you deal with that isolation then? Good question. 
when you're working um, online for so long, how, how do you how do you handle that? How do you stay sane? <laughs> well, sometimes I don't. Um, <laughs> um, I, well, I'm my child, and I'm actually really used to being alone and right. working independently and figuring things out. So, um, actually, soltera actually means it translates from Spanish to bachelorette um, for its notions of being free and unbound and independent. Um, and that's why I chose that name because mm-hmm. I knew I'd be doing it on my own. Um, and it's fine, you know. The, the only thing that's, that's that I find hard sometimes, yep, the isolation can be hard, but then, you know, you just go out and do some sales work or whatever. Um, I do find it hard not not knowing if I'm doing something right or wrong and just having to figure it out through the hard knocks. And so when I did this distillery course in Tasmania a couple of weeks ago, like that, I realised that I, I actually had figured most of the things, these things out and it was really reassuring. Yeah. I'm like, well, okay, so we've all made the same mistakes. Um, flocculation is something, for example, that happens to everybody, not just me. Um, yep, yep. I've got <laughs> most yeah. are on furniture dollies and I thought that was like really get on village. Everyone's got things on furniture dollies, you know. <laughs> Um, I'm like, cool. Whatever the hell works, yeah. really. Did you do Anne Gigney's course? No. Nope. Oh, I wasn't, um, no, I didn't do any courses, but I won a scholarship last year to the two-day sort of introductory course. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, so how did that, what, what was that scholarship through? Um, so that was through oh, the Pink Boot Society, which is for women in, in the beer and brewing industry, actually. Right. They had this like distillery scholarship, this two-day course in Melbourne. So I joined the, you know, applied and got it. And then this year I, I won the scholarship with the Australian Women Distilling Association for the distillery school at um, Old Kempton. Yep. Um, so that was pretty cool. And, that, and that's where I was saying that I felt really reassured. Um, but it was so cool to have to go to all these different distilleries, see the setups, try their whiskeys, which are extraordinary. Um, and... And, you know, you're talking about tradition before, and I find this really interesting. You know, Old Kempton teaches this, um, you know, it's a pretty formulaic way of, of making their whiskey. Yep. And, and I tried their whiskey, and I was just so blown away. I was just, thought it was extraordinary. And then we visited all these other distilleries, and, you know, a, a lot of them, are, you, know, you know, they're all using the same still maker. They've all got the same setups. They've all got the same ways of doing things, you know, the, the, you know. And it was, it was quite formulaic. And then you'd come across someone like Kalara yep. or Peter Bignall. Yep. And you'd be, like, yep. you'd be like, wow, you know, now here's a bit of creative genius. Here's yep. a bit of lifelong experience. And you could tell mm. because he's set well, up. He's a mad goes in there as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a mad scientist, that's, absolutely. That, that's um, something which um, is very, I find, fascinating is you have Tasmania, which is the spiritual home of whiskey, and all whiskey distillers acknowledge that, right? Yeah. And it's so cool when you go to Tasmania because you almost feel like you're coming home. It's a, it's a, it's quite a surreal experience, right? And we have a lot of friends in Tasmania. What has happened in Tasmania is exactly what you said, though. They people trained in Tasmania. And for want of a better a, a better name, the Lark way, the, the Bill Lark uh, approach, for want of a better name, right? Um, and then went off and went, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So then they went off and got the same still. They had the same mash bill. They had the same cuts. They, 
same barrel supply, everything. Mm. So Tasmania sort of evolved into a a Tasmanian flavor profile, a mm. signature, which they're trying to protect under an appellation as Tasmania whiskey. When you come to the mainland, it's totally different. Every distiller is using a different still, different location, different barrels, different yeast. So with, on the mainland, what's developed is an incredibly diverse style of making Australian whiskey. And a good example is we're in Capity, and three hours down the road is Brian from um, Blackgate. Um, totally different whiskeys. Totally different whiskeys, right? Uh, if I go to Sydney, Archie Rose, totally different whiskeys. Um, uh, OCD, totally different whiskeys. Mm. Different stills, everything's different. Whereas Tasmania, it's more tighter as far as the flavor profile. Now, that is changing, in my opinion. The likes of Warb Harbour and, and what they're producing now. Um, Clara, as you said, Christy, I love her pastry notes on her whiskey. Mm. Just love her pastry notes. Um, Ferno in Flinders Island. Mm. Um, I think they're part of Tasmania. Flinders? Yeah. 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 Um, um, so much diversity is starting to happen now in, in mm. uh, Tasmania. But it's almost like another phase of Tasmanian whiskey. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, guess, I thought it was really interesting. Um, I guess... I mean, I, I was impressed by everybody and by everything. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. When I leave, what, what stays in my mind, the ones that I remember the strongest, uh, is Clara. She yep. had, had manufactured her still with, you know, specific, you know, specifications that were different to everybody else. Yeah. Um, and obviously Peter Bignall, because yeah, he's, he yeah. he's an engineering, creative, physics genius um and so he had his obviously all his different ways of doing things and and they they stuck out in my mind because they were original and they were true to themselves as, as an individual their identity is as in their spirits and in their whiskey and it's their own yeah. um and and i that resonates with me i like that mm. yeah no, no, I agree. Did you get speaking of identity? Oh, there we are. <laughs> There's a plug yeah. for our friend. Yeah. Did you get right. to um did you get to Hobart? Um John Jarvis? No. Uh, you have to go see John Jarvis because he's also a legend. Sir John Jarvis. Sir John please. Jarvis. Sir John Jarvis. He will be a guest presenter on Oddly Craft Distillers shooting the shit down the track. By the way, how long have we crapped on? We've we've crapped on for well, not crapped on. We've 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 done deep dives. And but I mean, this is this is great, Gary. Uh, this this is a really very interesting yeah, episode. We're having a lot I of still fun. Have more questions? Yeah, go go go. Are, but now I've forgotten what the fuck I was going to say. Rum, whiskey, spirits, shit, travel, travel. Where do you want to go overseas fuck, besides Spain? Come back to me. Damn it! You want to go to the Caribbean? And what do you yeah. think? What is Richard Seal? Oh, don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know much about that, really. <laughs> Which is a bit embarrassing. <laughs> so, in in whiskey world, there's a guy called Mark Rainier, who is a revolutionary anti-establishment individual. I would say. Um, awesome guy, and we are going to get him on Aussie Craft Distiller Shit and Shit. In rum world, the equivalent is Richard Seal. Uh, 
Barbados, is that right? Yeah, but I think it's Barbados. Arrogant, bombastic, opinionated. Uh, it makes world-class whiskey, great uh, uh, rum, great singer. Yeah, no, maybe not. Um, anyway, that's my dream. One of my dream uh, guests is to get Richard Seal on mm. and do a rum session with him because he, oh. he is so transparent and brutal. <laughs> uh, well, fascinating, yeah. Um, I would go anywhere in the world right now. Um, yeah, I, haven't, I, haven't, yeah, I haven't traveled for, you know, more, three years or more, and I yeah. used to travel a lot. You know, a lot, a lot for work, for pleasure, and everything. And and yeah. and now I just sort of hibernate in my garage <laughs> around the warmth of the still. Right. I remember yeah. what I was going to say. Is it required in central? No, in not required in, in, in northern New South Wales. Yeah. Uh, I want to actually circle back to because I found pink boots, uh, pink boots mm. um, which I've never heard of, no. and. I think sounds like a, a fucking awesome idea and an awesome organization. Can you tell us a bit more about Pink the Pink Boots? Society? Yeah, it's, it's um, the Pink. Yeah, Pink Boots is an American organization mm. that supports women in the in the craft brewing industry, really, for craft beer over there. And they've got different branches around the world. There we go. Yep, yep. including so uh, Society and then there is actually a pinkbootsociety.com.au, um, yeah. which is uh, the website doesn't have a lot of information at the moment, but it's the 10th anniversary, apparently. Yeah, I think it would have been the anniversary last year, but you know, run by a lot of volunteers and things. Um, yep. And, and they, they, you know, they send out monthly newsletters. There are, there are forums online where you can ask, kind of like the. Um, like the ADI in, in the US for but for brewers and for women, right. where they can share information and ask questions around not just making but marketing, selling. They can offer jobs online, um, and really just to give women a leg up in the in the booze industry, where they haven't been particularly well represented um, historically. Um, and they have branched out into well, they had this distilling scholarship in Australia, so I jumped on that, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and, and did you find that via the American site, or how, how, how did you get onto that scholarship? Um, I, I think I might have. I, I think I might have seen it pop up on Facebook. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's a Facebook group for the Australian Pink Boot Society. There's a Facebook page, definitely an Instagram page, because when I did the course, I, I put up a lot, of, shared a lot of content with them as a you know gratitude. And there sort we of go. Like there is a Pink Boots Australia. Mm. Yes, I'm going to. Yeah, they were really awesome to deal with. Really, really supportive. Really positive. Um, really fun and very generous. You know, yeah, and right. really appreciate that. Uh, well, definitely. Um, so, uh, just for all those playing at home, I've just put the uh, Pink Boot Society Australia Facebook link into uh, the the chat. So please jump on there. I will flash it up on screen as well. I think that's important. Oh, no, wrong one. Hold on. Let me paste. I think that's important. Um, well done, Mark. Yeah, that's really fucking good. Yeah. Hey. This is, um, hang on, I'll just quickly carry it. So this is Winding Road uh, Whiskey. So this is Mark Awood. 
and it's and um, th- this was uh, I think this is probably his second release or something. Uh, he's played around with Mashville and different barrels. Uh, straight out of the starting blocks, mate. Awesome. Yeah, that is really yummy. Awesome. Uh, really awesome. Really okay. awesome. And it's so good to see a diversity of flavor in whiskey. Yeah. That's what really excites me. Um, so Phil Brain says Pink Boots had a number of ladies at the IBD conference in Adelaide. Cool. That's something I'm going to research a little bit more. I had not heard of that before. I want to know more. Right. Now I'd like I'd like yeah. to say something too um, about Aussie Craft Distillers shooting the shit. So um, for those that don't know, Todd and I uh, went down to the Australian Distillers Association conference uh, down in Melbourne about Todd four weeks ago. No, was, yeah, oh, yeah, three. Jeez, three it's ago. a blur. It's an absolute it's blur. The beginning of April, whenever yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. So oh. when I started. Uh, back in 2015, there was officially about 60 distillers in Australia. Um, there's now at the ADA conference, I think the number was about 550 distilleries that are ADA members. Mm-hmm. You can add on another 100-odd plus more, maybe even more. Someone told me 800 Australian distillers as a number, and this guy's done his research. Anyway, the conference was amazing, fantastic. Um, lots of new people, exciting, lots of established people, exciting, lots of great spirits, whether it's whiskey, rum, gin, whatever it was, it was awesome. But one of the great takeouts for us personally was we started, uh, Aussie Craft Distillers shooting the shit three years ago. Now we're into our third year and it started purely that I was pissed off that it was during COVID and larger spirits companies were looking for content for Zoom and they were interviewing Australian distillers and it was the most sterile, unengaging, Jesus, um, interviews possible, right? And then Todd, myself and Luke talked and went, fuck, we know enough people in the industry. Why can't we just talk amongst ourselves and get the stories out about Australian distillers? And we're up to episode 50 tonight, so it's a, it's an anniversary for us. It is. But the big thing that came out of the conference was the amount of people that came up to us and said, we love it. We love it as new guys, and we love it as seasoned individuals. Um, we want it. We want more. And the challenge that we have is it's only the three of us, mm-hmm. and this is our part-time gig. This is, this is, not, <laughs> our, this is not our revenue gig, yeah. believe me. Believe me. But we do have some sponsors. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. the guts of it is I came away and I talked to Todd and said, we need to do this weekly. And oh, Todd joy, said, I said. Huh? Oh, joy, I said. Yeah, oh, joy, he said. <laughs> I, think, I think I went, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, you went like that. And so I'm the man of, of uh, many ideas, some good, some bad. Yes. But what I did propose is that we assemble a group of guest presenters. And that is exactly what we've done. So we are now going to drop in from May to a weekly format. And we are going to have guest presenters. How many guests? Do you know the list of the guest presenters? Now we'll tell you who the guest presenters are. Hold on. We're going to announce the guest presenters, whether they know they they are guest presenters or not. Only Ben was the only one who didn't. (laughs) (laughs) 
if, if you if you don't know your guest presenter, this is our guest presenters. Yeah, as a rotation over a, like a six month, uh, three month period. Yeah. So we've got uh, Sir John Jarvis from Hobart Distillery, uh, who is the strongest man alive. Yep. He yep. makes knives. He makes great whiskey too. He, uh, he, him and Dave and his team. Well, watch the episode. Actually, I don't think John does anything apart from whiskey and anyway. knives. Yeah, you're yeah, on the other 20-odd um, guests and Kerry's being bored. Yeah. No, 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 Go. So, John Jarvis, we've got Brad Bright, who's... who's Brad Wright, Single Malt Whiskey Club. Oh, I hope he talked to you about that, Brad. Sorry if he didn't. Yeah. No, <laughs> he, he knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. Yep. Uh, Ali Ayers from Karoo. Yep. Ali Ayers from Karoo. And they make rum as well. Yep. Uh, Lee Atwood from Backwards. Lee Atwood and Dean. And Dean. So it's, oh, it's a dynamic duo. They will spend yeah, most of the episode hanging together. Are they going to be together? Yeah, they? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. They're going to they're going to hang shit on each other. So I don't think they'll cover much. But anyway, carry on. Uh, that's right. Uh, Nico. Nico from AWAS AWAS Australian Whiskey Appreciation Society. So, so uh, do, we Nico, do we put Nico and, and Ollie on at the same time? No, they're on separate ones. Ollie, oh. Ollie Maruda from the Whiskey List. Yep. Uh, ben Ten, uh, Ben Osborne from the uh, Gin Appreciation Society. Mate, yep. things like this. And <laughs> spirits and cheers, mate, and Sparkles. other things. Yeah, I've got, I've got, there you go, look. Keep your focus. The Yuzu. Oh, Yuzu, I've got that downstairs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, every I've, every second week he's re- releasing yet another distillery yeah, brand, I, another brand, another distillery, another what is the most entrepreneurial bloke to live. He is the most entrepreneurial distiller out there for sure. Yeah, yeah, next, yeah. Who's hold next? on, hold on, hold on. Oh. So Yuzu and Gin, I've been I've been pouring this at the Easter show, and I've been giving this to people who go, don't like gin, don't like it. Yeah, I said, not anymore. <laughs> and I pour them a bit of that, and they go, "You tell holy them. fucking shit." You tell them, <laughs> it's it's good, it's good. Who else? Uh, Matt Whisker. Matt Whisker. Matt Whisker is whiskey uncovered. He has his own events. Uh, a person in the Sin- Sydney um, space, uh, distilling, not distilling, uh, events space. Uh, whiskey lover, great guy. Uh, and then we've got uh, Mick and Mel from Imbue. Mick and Mel from Imbue Distillery down in Melbourne. Uh, brandy, whiskey, and gin. And they were actually, you know what we haven't done? We still haven't had their barrel aged gin. No, we need to try that. I've, it's still here. Another night. Yep. So they are a dynamic du- uh, oh, duo. FYI, I've also got Karu's Ginski. Oh, cool. Been waiting for that. Yep. Yeah. And then we've got Fee. Fiona Beasley, who is an identity in the spirits industry, um, and she's brand ambassador for Coburn's um, whiskey. Yep. Next. Uh, no, that's that's it. That's, that's it. So we've assembled a fantastic team of people that will be co-presenters. It's going to be like herding cats. I can see it now. <laughs> yep. And the responsibility that's- for herding the cats is with the man on the right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I'm the ideas I, person. I can hardly yeah. wait. So, Every me, day I get yet another guest presenter yeah. and guest speaker. 
let me just explain how this works. Good. I don't have any idea. He (laughs) says, oh, this person's going to be a guest presenter. Todd and I say, I, okay, do they know yet? And then it's up to Todd and I to figure out, okay, how the fuck do we do this? Because you can't press the buttons. (laughs) I'm not a button presser. You, you press my buttons. I'm the ideas man. No, you press buttons. You press all the fucking buttons. <laughs> One of his life skills is to press buttons. This boy. Yeah. Oh, wind it up. Wind it up. Let Kerry go to bed. Kerry, thank you so much. Yeah, that was it has been. It was fun, Kerry. It really was. We really wonderful chat. Genuinely with you. enjoyed it. Uh, stick around after we wrap up, and we'll. We'll yeah, have a good chat. If you're you know, on for the last 15 minutes, we almost got to the longest. Um, oh, uh, look, I can, I can, no, 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 wind it up. Um, okay, so, <laughs> uh, please like and subscribe. Please visit, uh, hold on, I'm gonna flash it up on the screen, cabarita distillery.com. No, no. what no. cabarita spirits.com. Oh, fuck, oh, I copied Oh, it. you stuffed it up. Oh, fuck it. Hold on. Oh, was it me? No, uh, it was crafty. It was not. Yeah, you you, you interrupted him. Oh, no, you did it wrong. It wasn't me. Was it, it was you. Oh, no, Jesus I'm blaming you. <laughs> you don't stop pressing buttons. <laughs> That's why I don't press buttons. <laughs> you mean you do not go to Cabarita Distillery? Anyway, yeah. Fucking shit. You did it yes. No, I didn't. That's you right. Oh, 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 sorry. Sorry. Okay. You have more luck going there. And I'm meant to be the fucking IT guy. <laughs> Jesus shit. Hey, thank you guys so much. Um, no worries. Thank you so much. Please, please visit uh, cabaretaspirits.com. Cabaretaspirits.com. <laughs> cabaretaspirits.com. <laughs> and uh, be wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Please like and subscribe. And we will catch you. Hold on. I'm going to. Who we got next? Uh, <laughs> is, is it locked in? Look, it's always a potluck no, as to whether we're locked in or not. No, Todd's organizing. We're not locked in. The next, the next one is our friend over in Germany, which you need to organize. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you need to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, TBA. TBA. German, Germany's, sometimes we do internationals. And, uh, yeah, Germany's a bit harder, so. From a time time zone perspective. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we look the next episode. No, just just flash that away. You don't need to keep on flashing that up. <laughs> Stop it! I can turn your internet off. <laughs> and it's I working relatively it. okay right at the moment since I cut the trees. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all right. We we have a, a very special guest, hopefully, if you can arrange it, yeah, yeah, for uh the 27th. Yep, um, that'll be quite interesting. Oh, hang on, so that's after our Aussie Crafter Still is Shooting the Shit event. Oh, fuck yeah, yeah. yeah. sorry, we've got oh, one more thing oh, to plug. Yeah. One, more one more thing to plug. I don't, I don't know what the ticket sales are like, they're pretty well done. Are they done? Almost, oh, we'll, we'll put it up so. We have on um, 
uh, well, the, <laughs> on the 26th of April, uh, we will all be at the Oak Barrel in Sydney uh, doing a, uh, a tasting of Waterford. The Irish distillery Waterford. I just realised it's going to be a really busy day for one individual in the room. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, me. And boy, what, do you what about you? No, sorry. So, so, oh, yes. who are in the know? We, we have our Waterford event on the 26th. Yeah. Yep. Some Buffett is then driving to Canberra to do a special event down there on the 27th. No, 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 that's next week. It's on the 27th, I believe. No, it's on the 20th. <laughs> All right, yep. Fuck. <laughs> I reckon Todd's going to talk, be right. Talk about... Fuck. Talk about... So, we are going to be... And taking... then on the 27th that evening, somewhere between Canberra and and Capity, we'll yeah. have a guest... Uh, okay, so... All right, let's clarify. No, no, hold on. Let's let's just finish up on Waterford first. Oh, Yeah, that's what I'm doing. So, 27th, 20... Waterford. No, 26th is, 27th is Waterford. Sorry, 26th. 27th is... Is is us? Yeah, yeah, twenty six. Yeah, yeah. twenty six. Go, go, twenty six. Twenty six. Go to theoakbarrel.com. Um, if there are tickets, great. If there are not, I'm sorry. So this is too late. Aussie craft still okay, is. Okay, so is there a chance to buy the on the the uh, yes, home? Yes, you can buy it. So Aussie craft still is shooting the shit. First event with the Oak Barrel collaboration. And we are presenting Waterford Distillery, the Irish Distillery, the most, in my, opinion, in my opinion, one of the most progressive distilleries on the planet. Yeah. In conjunction with Waterford, this is the first public tasting of Waterford, and we're doing it purely for the love of Waterford. And Dave Withers from Archie Rose will join me, as well as uh, Nick Hope from Dusty Barrel down in Victoria, who's training up overnight. Just to do this event, we're not paying today, are we? I haven't checked. Okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so it's the Waterford night. This is a big night. Yeah. Uh, Waterford has a has a, is the distillery that was created by Mark Rainier, who is the ultimate rebel. Yeah, he's the ultimate rebel in the whiskey world globally. Mm. Uh, he is totally focused on Tawa. And barley, and barley is important in, in making whiskey. Um, an amazing guy. Uh, we will have him on shooting the shit. We've got that arranged later in the year. But this is a in-house tasting, 40 people and 40 kits. Yeah. And of four different Waterford whiskeys. Of four different Waterford whiskeys. That you cannot buy in Australia. That have come straight from Waterford Distillery. Yep. And to so, be totally honest, knowing Waterford, they're probably already sold out. So the, these will be very unique tastings. Probably. It's almost sold out, yeah. So anyway, that's our plug. Yes. So I have put the link into the chat, please. I mean, good luck. Really. It's probably already and sold out. Thank you, everyone, for hanging in there for almost <laughs> two hours. <laughs> Good we night. Do, all. Thank you all. Appreciate please, you. Please hit cabaretospirits.com. Cabaretospirits.com. <laughs> and Brad Wright's coming. Excellent. All right. Cheers, all. Stay, Kerry. We'll have a chat.